Welcome to Under the Fig Tree Podcast. In today's episode, hosts Reverend Micah Glenn and Reverend Dr. Ben Haupt sit down with a special guest as they meditate under the fig tree. What's up, what's up, what's up, and welcome back to another episode of Under the Fig Tree. I am your host, Reverend Micah Glenn, the Director of Recruitment here at Concordia Seminary, and of course, joined by my highly esteemed co-host, Reverend Dr. Benjamin Haupt. How are you, bro? I'm all right. I'm all right. How are you? Good. You know, the weather's turning. We, I think we've talked about that a little bit. It's fall. Fall yep. fashion starting yeah, to come yeah. out. My favorite time of the year. You can layer up, become a little more flamboyant with, with what you got on. <laughs> I got flamboyant. I don't well, know that that yeah, describes yeah. me. But. I'm okay, but I got a new pair of uh, Nike Dunks. They're the high tops, and yeah. they're like a couple of shades of brown, so perfect for the winter, and like slightly mint soles. Mm. I- I'm becoming so, a fan of mint. So what um, what number is that for you? Because I know it's not like six or seven. Which is pair amount, of, uh, which Nikes? is the amount of shoes that I have, like six or seven oh, pairs. So if we're talking about shoes, are we talking about all the shoes, or are we just talking about like sneakers that are like what no, I no, would all consider? the shoes? Yeah, yeah, oh. all the shoes. <laughs> are you supposed to know how many? Anyway, <laughs> let's let's move on. Uh, some people like fine wine, and some people like sneakers. That's fair. That's yeah. fair. Okay. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. We are joined by, with the guest, uh, Deaconess. Rebecca Lucas. Uh, we're going to probably just call you Becca for the rest of the podcast because we're friends and we work together. Yeah. Yes, that sounds good to me. Uh, so Becca is not only a deaconess, but she works here on staff. Uh, an- another called staff member. Ben's a faculty member, by the way, so he's special. Me and Rebecca are called staff members. Yes. Uh, and she works in our communications department. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how does that work? Well, that's where I work. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, what do you want to know? How I got there or what I do or? That's an, you know what? So we, we usually have a little bit of back and forth before we get to this, but your work for the seminary is tied into this question that we ask all of our guests that are church workers. And so we'll start with that question. How did you become a deaconess? So what led yeah, to you good. wanting to become a deaconess? That sounds good. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's a, a long story. I think that starts with my childhood. Mm. So I come from a church worker family. Mm-hmm. My dad is a pastor. Um, and so I've just been surrounded by church work. My mom is a DCE and a Lutheran school teacher who also has done many and various other jobs. Mm. Um, a DCE and a school teacher. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Cool Good combo. Um, and I've learned a lot from her too. Um, but as a, a little kid, my, my grandma was a nurse, and I knew that, and I wanted to be like her. I wanted to be a nurse, and that was my dream, my goal. And then I got to middle school. What kind of nursing did she do? Because there are, uh, my mom is a nurse, so okay. lots of nurses out there, different kinds of nurses. So she, she died when I was five. Mm. So growing up, in my head, I had no idea. Sure. I just knew she was, she just was a nurse. A nurse. Yeah, 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 fair. <laughs> As I've grown older, I know more of her story. Um, she was a pediatric nurse, mm. but she was also an army nurse and served in wow. World War II. That's wow. cool. So I knew that legacy of her, yeah. and that's what I, I wanted to be like her. Hmm. Um, so middle school came, and the reality hit that nursing meant a lot of science and math, <laughs> which was Anatomy not my favorite thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
And so my dad, he said, you know, Becca, I don't, I don't think it's that part of nursing that intrigues you, mm. that you want. It, it's the bedside. It's the care. Yeah. It's the spiritual care. I can relate to that because at one point I wanted to be a pharmacist. And uh-huh. Exactly. I, I realized after two or three years of pursuing it that it wasn't the medical care. Even I am good at math and science, but different part of the story. It, it, like, it was a different type of care for people I was looking for, so I can really relate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so that's when my dad said, have you thought about being a deaconess? Because I knew parish nurses existed. I knew a retired deaconess when I was a kid. I would ride my bike to a nursing home in our neighborhood and visit a couple that was there. And every once in a while, Deaconess Rose was there. So I knew they were out there, but in my head, they were old and visited old people. Sure. <laughs> and that was a deaconess. And how old were you when your when your dad told you this? Maybe I was in be... eighth grade. Oh, eighth grade. Eighth grade. Right. Okay. My dad said, maybe you should think about being a deaconess. Um, and at that point, my older sister and our cousin were doing college visits. Um, they were three years older than me, so they're junior in high school. So I tagged along in eighth grade. We visited Concordia, Chicago, which mm-hmm. is where my sister ended up going. Um, and that's where I encountered, uh, the undergrad deaconess program. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was it. That was what I was going to do. I started filling out my application then in eighth grade Mm. (laughs) because I'm ambitious. Um, and then I went through high school, my junior year of high school, I had to do a project for a sociology class and I was looking into social work Mm. and just kind of researching that world. And I really hit this crisis of do I go into professional church work or do I go into a secular field as a Christian? Mm. And I really wrestled with that. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people do. Yeah. Um, So that was ultimately my deciding factor for college. Um, I decided I wanted to go into social work. And at the time, I don't know if this is still the case, but at the time... If I wanted to do social work at Concordia Chicago, there was an extra step in the process with licensure. Right. um, Where at Concordia, Wisconsin and Mequon, the licensure was part of the program. Sure. So I decided, I think I'm supposed to be a social worker. I think I'm supposed to go into the secular field. Um, So I, I dropped the deaconess idea for undergrad at least, because right at that time, the seminary had started their Master of Social Work dual degree as well. So I knew kind of out there, you need a master's degree anyway in social work, really, um, to get the kind of job that I was looking for. So I might as well go to seminary anyway, become a deaconess and get my master's in social work. So that was my plan in high school. Um, But I went to Concordia, Wisconsin. Woohoo! Did you, did you hear that? Um, the, the listeners know that yeah. um, Micah comes from Concordia, her, Chicago. Her, her true heart's and I, desire. And I, I visited Concordia, <laughs> Chicago, and then said, oh, no. I, I, yeah, the um, big city God is too bless much for our, our colleagues at Concordia, <laughs> Chicago. But I said, um, Jesus, if I have to go to Concordia, Chicago, I'll do it. But is there any other way? And then I went to Concordia, Wisconsin. What a I saw the story. lake. And it's just true. 
Um, so no, 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 no shame to our Concordia Chicago uh, colleagues. I love them dearly, and it's a great school for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. It worked for Micah, but I'm I'm <laughs> glad for that my sister. I'm Becca's glad sister. that you're on board with Concordia, Wisconsin. Yeah, yes. I got a couple classes together anyway. <laughs> yes. Sorry, just had to go there. <laughs> no, that's okay. I I love Concordia, Wisconsin, and and yeah. when I did my visits there, when it was my time to to do my own thing, um, I really felt community and like. Yeah. This, this is where I need to be. And I didn't feel that at Chicago. Um, but I loved visiting my sister sure. there. Um, so, uh, yeah. So I went to Mequon and I started out as a social work major with a theology major as well. I think I started out with both. Um, in my first semester, I didn't have any social work specific classes. I just had my theology classes and my gen eds. And I fell in love with my theology courses and I dropped my social work major after that first semester. Um, and I knew I'm going to follow this route. So I, w- I was a lay minister, uh, which is now a director of church ministries. Okay. Uh, they mm-hmm. changed our name, which is good. Um, so that's what I graduated with. And that's when I hit another crisis point <laughs> because yeah, there, I still had my... There are my... a few crises um, through... Through that discernment process, right? I there think it's really helpful to, just to point out. Um, I even talk with students who get here in their middle or maybe almost all the way through their program, and they're hitting these crisis mm-hmm. moments. And and every time you go through a crisis, you're like, "Oh, this is only me. I'm the only one that's <laughs> ever, uh, you know, had this this crisis." So tell yes. us tell us a little bit more about the crisis. Yeah, well, it was years of discernment, yeah. years of figuring out what's the next step. What does God want for me? Yeah. What is the right way? And I, I'm a perfectionist in many ways. And so I always want to do the right thing. And so yeah. it can be almost debilitating of I, I can't move forward in my future because I might do the wrong, the mm. wrong thing. Yeah. Um, so when I was graduating college, I was kind of hitting that point where I had this plan of going to seminary because that's what I decided going into college. Um, but as I, I was graduating with a certification to be a lay minister, I am, I'm certified to be rostered, to be called to a congregation, to start serving now. And I was wrestling with, why am I going on to more school to get another certification if I'm mm. already certified? And I just couldn't get past that. Um, I, sh- I should start serving. Um, that's that's what I need to do. And I, and I also was struggling with, am I doing this just so I can wear this nice <laughs> deaconess garb? Am I doing it just so I can say I have a master's degree? Why am I doing this? Um, and at that time as well, tuition wasn't covered by our donors. Oh, right, right. Um, and, and so I, I just couldn't justify piling on even more debt uh, when I'm, I'm certified to go serve now. Yeah. So that was part of my process. And I talked to professors, I talked to pastors, I talked to my parents, I talked to my, my siblings, um, and it, it came down to crunch time. I think it was three weeks before classes started here in the fall that I dropped out. Um, and so I, I had a season of figuring out what's next. Hmm. And then I went through the call process at Concordia, Wisconsin, um, and got my first call as a lay minister. And so I served for almost three years in a congregation, which I loved and I learned. (laughs) And 
I learned that God is calling me to be a deaconess sure. too. Um, so that was about three more years of discernment. Yeah. Um, and the ministry that I did, the people that I encountered, the questions that I wrestled with, the questions that they wrestled with, um, just kept solidifying for me, I want to know more. Mm. I want to serve better. Yeah. Um, I want to care well. Um, and the next step to be able to do that was to go back to school. So that's what I did. So I came, came to seminary, started the deaconess program. At this point, social work just wasn't even in the picture anymore. Sure. Um, and I know that there are some women who come here and do that. And it it, is, it's a wonderful pair. Right? It is. Uh, right. It makes sense. It is hard work, but it is good. I've tried to convince Dorothy to get an MSW. Well, we've been married for 10 years, so for, for almost 10 years. And now she's doing an MA in theology, which is great. And I think it's great for her. And I think it's great just general. Uh, but, you know, in deaconess work, because of the nature of it, if you can pair the theology with social work, I, I mean, it just, you know, qualifications behind talent just mm -hmm. kind of multiplies this ability to reach pe people in different ways. But it's, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's kind good. of one one way of being a deaconess, right? Like, uh, especially caring for somebody out in the community. That's what social work sets you up for, right? But mm -hmm. but even out in the community, the dynamics and the variety of ways that you can serve with that dual certification, again, are yeah. vast. Yeah. But yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Either way. And a lot of that work, whether it's explicitly stated or not, it's spiritual work. Yep. It's it's uh, very spiritual. So. Yeah. So you come to school here? I come to school here. Um, and, and I don't know if we asked Chris. We, so we had another grad on uh, in a previous season. It might have been season one when we were doing seasons on uh, Under the Fig Tree. And we asked Christina Paul about her path. And she talked about being a student here. Um but we didn't ask her like specifically about the program and what that looked like while she was here mm -hmm. doing the MA and spiritual care and deek cert, so which mm -hmm. is deaconess certification. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the program, it's it's part of the grad school and ministerial formation. Mm -hmm. So you're you're in both worlds a little bit. So I graduated with an MA and deaconess certification. So mm -hmm. I, I have both, um, and it. The program is set up in a way where we're really in with the guys. We are taking a lot of the same coursework. As a deaconess student, you have the option to do the languages, and then that can open up other courses for you. Sure. Um, but yeah. if you don't, there are modifications for not having the languages, um, but it's still excellent education. Mm -hmm. We do field work, so we're assigned a local congregation yep. where we serve as a, a deaconess field worker. Um, so we can help with Bible study, help with Sunday school, help with visitation, um, just various tasks and roles in the congregation. So we get that experience too, just like the guys do. So what are some of the concrete things that you did at your, at your field education? So what they have you doing? I was, we had several field workers at, at my field work mm -hmm. congregation. Um, and I really, I loved it. And, and after I graduated and my husband and I have stayed, I work here, we're also doing PhD work. Um, and so that's where we, we go to church. Um, 
we're members there and our kids are baptized there mm-hmm. and, and we really love that congregation. Um, but there were several of us, so we would take turns leading a lectionary Bible study. Mm-hmm. Okay. So based on, on the readings for the week yep. and we would lead that. And then we also did services at a nursing home and at a um, kind of a group home in the area and so singing songs, a short message, some prayers. Um, so I helped with that. And I, I did some readings during services um, and led some devotion type things. Mm-hmm. A, yeah. a wide variety. Yeah, that's yeah. helpful just to kind of get an idea of what, what does this field work actually look like? What does a deaconess yeah. do at field work? Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and, and I had the advantage of having three years of professional church work already under my belt. Um, But yeah, it was a good experience and and I was thankful for that. Um, Yeah, so field work, classes, coursework. um, Part of our education is also formation hour. Mm -hmm. So the seminary did a curriculum overhaul recently and I came in right as that was being released i think (laughs) actualized yeah yeah yeah. um so there there's a big emphasis on our formation as people yeah um and how our financial health our physical health our emotional health um or wellness i guess the word the wellness wheel yep uh so we had specific times each week to talk about that as a as a group of deaconesses we had our own group with our director of the program, Dr. Jill Bond. Mm-hmm. And so we could talk through these things and pray for each other and encourage each other as, as we're going through different uh, situations in these various aspects of our lives. Right. Um, so that was, that was cool. So you moved away from kind of social work. Um, tell, tell me a little more about that. Um, you, did you kind of have a... Maybe it's not quite this kind of work that I want to do. Maybe it's more this kind of work. How did that shift happen? So when I was working in the congregation, um, I, I learned a lot about myself. Yeah. And I, I learned that I love teaching and I love mm. learning. I've, I mean, I, now that I'm also in the PhD program, I love school. Sure. I really do. Um, but... I, I realize that I love to teach too and take what I'm learning, take what I'm reading, take what I'm experiencing and, and sharing it with, with others. Um, and I also found that, so I, I was the director of senior high ministry, college age, kind of developing a college age ministry, a young adult ministry, and then women's ministry wasn't initially part of my duties, but it just kind of became part of what I did. And, right. and I found that I loved it. Um, and the women's ministry, especially the women's Bible studies, became kind of a sweet spot. Um, and then when women would come and talk with me, I often found myself wanting to be able to give more to them. Mm. Um, and so that just kept solidifying for me, reaffirming for me, going back to school could be a good option. Um, And I I think it was. And so then coming to seminary and going through the coursework here, 
I just wanted to know more and, and know more and know more. Um, and, and a lot of what I was thinking and wrestling through was what led me to my, my master's thesis. You have the option to take an exam instead of write a paper, but I really wanted to write the paper. Um, yeah. now, now, when you really wanted to write the paper, did you have a mind that you were also going to pursue a PhD? Not, not exactly. If, if you did, would you have done a thesis and then pursued a PhD? Because I, I thought about that, right? Like, yes, if I were a to thesis. do a STM differently, uh, aside from the PhD, is like, if I did the STM and then decided to do a PhD later, I would probably do the exams because I've always had PhD in the back of my mind. Mm. So I was like, why would I write a thesis and then a dissertation? It just... I don't want to say practice. it's too much well, writing. For me well, personally, well, fine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For the yeah, tryhards, yeah, yeah. it's practice. But for those of us writing, for the tryhards, write, write is that thesis. what you said? Yeah, I did say tryhards. <laughs> I am exactly. all for writing I, I like yeah. the process of it. I like the developing the thought process, but sitting down and typing on the keyboard. It's not because I'm like a slow typer or anything like that. Uh, oh, don't I don't just, get me wrong. I have a love-hate relationship. Fair. and And most of the time, if you ask my wife, it's... It's almost all, she thinks it's almost all hate. I love writing, but it's torturous sometimes well, for me. And yet... The editing part, that's part, oh. I think that's why I don't like to write, because I don't like to edit. I actually <laughs> like to edit. Do I don't you? like to, oh. I don't like to create. Like, I sit down and I get all frozen and... Um, oh. it, it so takes I, I work in communication. At some point, yeah. we so should write a writing, book together and I, know, I can right? bomb it on the page and you can edit it and yeah. make it clean yeah. and be a perfect relationship. <laughs> We should like have a podcast or something. Right. <laughs> so, sorry. So you're doing your thesis and we'll get to the comms work because we're, yeah, we definitely want to talk about that. So yeah. you have a thesis and you have to think about something to write about because it's not like here's this list of things you're able to write about. That's not how graduate school works. It's like read and write and read and write until something grabs onto you that you can't let go and then you pursue it academically. Mm -hmm. And then yeah, it's, you, it's not like a book report where you're like, uh, tell us what this already said. Yeah. The, that's specifically not uh, when you're writing a thesis. Right. They want you to make a contribution and they want you to have a unique thought, right? Right. So uh, tell us about your paper. Yeah. So, and I think this ties into why I didn't do social work as well. Mm -hmm. um, the, the thoughts that I kept having during class, I just kept thinking the church needs to know this. The church yeah. needs to know that. We need to think about this. The church needs to think about this and talk about this. And I don't think I'm hearing this. And and so I think where social work is out in the secular world, if you want to describe it that way, mm -hmm. um, things that I was encountering and pursuing and thinking about were more for we've got some issues here first within the church that we should talk about. So, yeah. so my paper, um, the title is The Christian Family implications of familial language for the identity of the church. Yeah. So it's about the family language that is from God. It acts on us. It gives us our identity. We are, we are God's family. Mm. And it's not just this, this ideal. It's not just a platitude. It's not just a, a chummy, uh, worthy, we're the the family. Welcome to this church. Welcome to the family. Just kind of a gimmick, right? Yeah. Um, it's real, and it it changes us. It changes how we view ourselves. It changes how we view each other. Mm -hmm. um, it changes how we view our parents and our kids. It changes everything. Um, and I think that there is a 
what I what I share in my paper and write about and researched and and put out there really is that there's a lack of identity for many people who who are Christian um, out in in our society. I spoke specifically about North American society because that's my context. Right. That's that's what I know. Um, and while we say we're Christian, there's a gap between what that means and what that looks like and what we say and then what we do. And I think understanding the family, God's family, understanding the language that God uses in Scripture for his people and newness in Christ, the more we understand that and then use it, the smaller that gap will become. Right, yeah. Um, Yeah. And the more that our the Christian people will know who they are, know what they're supposed to do um, in relation to each other and in relation to the world. Mm. So, yeah, I got to, um, I got to be one of the readers. So uh, when, when students turn in their, their thesis, they have an advisor. That's kind of the main person that they, that they work with. But then um, there's usually two readers, right? Two or three, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, So I got to, I got to read Becca's thesis and, um, a, a couple things that I that I remember very distinctly as I read through it. Um, the first thing was you're a really clear writer um, to to move from one idea to the next. Um, that there is a, it's a a true art to be able to do that in a, a clear, concise way. Um, but also, and I think this was the thing that really struck me was um, like you were saying. Uh, it's the the family language is not a gimmick. Your writing wasn't gimmicky. You you actually um, I thought whoa uh, I did I think I don't I don't I don't think I knew that you were the author of the paper the first time I started reading through it. I I think maybe oh. I was I was um, kind of a, a blind reader or something. We use that term blind to mean like don't know the the author, and so. Um, I just remember thinking, man, this is like getting to kind of foundational, really important conversations. Uh, you're you're reading people that are not just kind of um, it's not just taking a few terms from the Bible and making up some stuff about them. You're you're um, you're keyed into really important conversations going on in theology, and I I just um, I yeah I really appreciated uh, reading it and thinking, whoa. Becca knows what she's talking about. Well, and a lot of that, too, is I had a very good advisor. Sure. <laughs> sure. sure. Dr. So, Okamoto. Dr. Um, Okamoto, yes. Yeah, he's um, keyed in. But yeah. but it wasn't like, um, I mean, that's that's great to defer to your advisor, but um, to be able to take that kind of conversation at that level and go deep into theology, but also make it really practical for the church um, was was really awesome, and that's that's how all great writing projects come about. Like you said, um, you're looking for who's talking about this, and you're not seeing it being talked about anywhere, and so you realize, oh, I think I have a responsibility here to write about this stuff. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which we, you are in the PhD program. Beck and I got yeah. through German together on the past. High five. Yeah, yeah. No, Sehr yeah. gut. Very good? <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't quiz us. Yeah, I was, gonna, I was, like, right, I, I was, like, I was like, Zer, okay, here we go. This is Some, sometimes adjective. I just break into German and just... <laughs> well, 
I just is it's one of these things, right? Because we hear biblical languages, we learn so that we can read old things and translate them for ourselves. And for uh, the MDiv or Deaconess program, should you learn learn it's it's Hebrew and Greek, so you can translate the Old and New Testament, which which does make a vast difference and impact on how you read scripture. If you can read it in its original language and then learn about the context and see their style and Definitely. how they write. Uh, and if you're going to do graduate school here, German is the first one you have to mm-hmm. learn because it's a Lutheran institution. A lot of our older writings are in German. Right. Um, yeah. So we, you have to do it. And I'm trying to, cause, cause biblical German compared to modern German, the difference is vocabulary, right? The, right, the, right. the language works the same. So I'm trying to take, because nobody speaks ancient Hebrew or Koine Greek anymore. There's differences yeah. in those languages. So the translation isn't as easy. But I'm trying to hang on to German. I mean, not many Americans speak German, but who knows if I end up in Germany someday, right? Me if and I be Dwight <laughs> bust out in, in German and, and not have, like, force people to have English conversations with me. My point is I'm trying to keep up with my vocabulary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that That's I hang good. on to language. So I appreciate when you bust it out because it's like, oh, yeah, what does that mean? Um, but so uh, you have to write a thesis in the MA with DEEK certification here. But again, you said it's graduate school and it's ministerial formation. So it's not just a matter of writing a thesis. You, you also had an internship? Yes. With, yeah. Thank where, you for... Yeah. Where was your internship? I did my internship at the Lutheran Haven in Oviedo, Florida. Oh. So my husband did his vicarage at St. Luke's. Okay. And Great I was across the parking lot over at the Haven. Um, so my, my internship really was mostly in the nursing home, uh, doing visitation. And then I also did visits out in independent living as well and in assisted living. Uh, but our office, so I, I worked with a pastor also who worked with the Haven as well. Um, and he and I had an office right in the building. So we were right there with the staff, with the residents, um, every day. And I did a unit of clinical pastoral education Mm -hmm. the summer before my internship. Mm -hmm. So I went into it already with that kind of that mindset of institution. Right. Um, I had I had already done congregational work for three years and I wanted to get that institutional experience um, because deaconesses really were trained to be in the parish, in an institution, in the mission field. Those are kind of the three main um, services. Of course, it's a wide range within those and outside of those. Mm -hmm. I mean, communications here at the seminary doesn't exactly fit. Yeah, we're going to get to that in a second. Can you give us some examples of institutions? Because we use that term here at the seminary to mean something really specific. Mm -hmm. So what are some examples of institutions? Yeah, so I did my, my... Unit of Clinical Pastoral Education at Laclede Groves here in St. Louis. So yep. that's similar. It, it's a much bigger scale of what the Haven was. So it, it has independent living. It's, it's a retirement community. Sure. Yep. You've got the nursing home. You've got assisted living, memory care, all of that. So that's one kind of institution. Mm-hmm. Some deaconesses serve it in prison ministry. So that would be another institution yep. um, working with... Um, inmates and and people who are there. Um, so jail ministry too, and jail mm-hmm. and prison. Mm-hmm. Um, other institutions. 
uh, colleges, universities. Mm-hmm. Yep. So doing yep. campus ministry yep. Um, yep. at Concordia, Wisconsin. I had a, a deaconess. Uh, we had a deaconess and a DCE who just were instrumental mm. in, in my time as a college student um, and good friends now, too. Yep. So yep. those would be a few examples. Recognize service organizations, another thing that we talk about in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, that are kind of these mm-hmm. um, social service, mi- mercy ministry kinds of um, non- non-for-profits that, that serve yeah. the community in some way. And so mm-hmm. a lot of deaconesses in the LCMS are connected to RSOs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And another one that I, I should mention, too, I don't always immediately think of it in institution because institution to me just seems big and yeah, vast yeah, um, but maternity homes oh, also yeah. sure. i think would be a really important one to point yeah, out too yeah. um that deaconesses often serve in these and, and i think right now especially that's one of our needs mm. um and so having deaconesses who are trained in these specific areas to work with these women um is important exciting and important yeah yeah so usually like so Ministry to women is one of those things that, um, you know, I always highlight to people uh, because, again, when I when I began my ministry in Ferguson as like a a missionary within amongst other organizations, a lot of the people that I first encountered before uh, people became aware of me and the types of things that I was uh, there for were single women looking for aid and assistance. And I always had these moments where it felt like, uh, well, like there was a barrier between me and these women, right? They were coming for needs. It's like, they're just looking for this transactional thing, but of course they probably need a little bit more. And then, you know, the slow light bulb begins to turn on. It's like, oh, maybe it's because I'm a guy, right? And their life conditions uh, put up barriers between them and men, especially men they don't know. And then and then the bulb burned brighter. It's like, oh yeah, but I'm married to a deaconess who works a mile away. Let me call her and say, hey, can I start referring these women to you? Because some of them have children and she works for a school. Anyway, long story short, that having that dynamic between, I'm blessed because it's me and my wife, but any pastor with a deaconess that encounters a woman in his congregation or outside of his congregation but says, hey, by the way, we have this other church work professional here, uh, happens to be a woman. Do you mind having a conversation with her? Is it okay if we can connect? And then all of a sudden, these relationships really began to blossom. Trust began to be created because we had this connection. And that's, I always think, I tell people that, think about your congregation and uh, the DNA of it. Every congregation is going to be made up mostly of women. Uh, they, they're at least 50% of the congregation, usually more. And then if you look yeah. at the munitia of a, a congregation of who makes it turn and the things happen, like luncheons, or, or like the altar guild, or all these other things that are really important functions of a congregation. I know luncheon was probably a little misogynistic. Anyway, uh, that makes all I of didn't these. It's, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all these things uh, go in your congregation. It's usually the women who volunteer and not the men, uh, and they're usually in need of spiritual care. And uh, well, we have a habit of um, looking past it sometimes. That's yeah. one of the beauties of the deaconess office and what's so exciting about it is we are in this unique position to mediate in a way but especially to uphold and uplift the pastoral office for these women right um and i was just talking about this i'm i'm a ta for a class with dr bond this semester and we were having this conversation in our class this week that 
the church is a reality mm. and the church is a newness and a wholeness in Christ in the face of a very broken world. And many of these women that we're being trained to work with have experienced deep and devastating brokenness. Mm. Um, and some of it's particularly with men. Um, and so coming into a church, especially a church body that men are the pastors, men are in charge, um, it can be very intimidating. Sure. And so we have this amazing responsibility to show that the the church is a different reality. The church yeah. is a, a different identity. And we can say confidently, this pastor represents Christ. Mm. This pastor is for you. This pastor cares for you. And we get to be that voice with them, mm. walking with them as they... They come into this new space and learn these new things. Um, and maybe it's even women who are already in the congregation and experiencing this brokenness yeah. and hurt and reminding them of the truths that we have as God's people and that the pastor is for them. I, I look at it on the uh, opposite side as well. Is, um, it gives a voice of the women in your congregation to the pastor absolutely and allows yeah, you to co go to your pastor as a, a colleague and say hey like this mm -hmm. is what the women of your congregation need because again it's just it's just we're just different mm -hmm. uh by design by god's design and yeah. having somebody be able to communicate that to us is such an incredible thing like i i, I talk about experiences and every time i talk about like a ministry success for a woman i always conclude the story is like and this was made possible by my deaconess wife, Dorothy Glenn, because there were things that I was just, just again, just blind to. I'm just, it's just experience, right, uh, from the life. And I, I just, that dynamic is just, if every, con I, I'm going to continue to say it, because I hope our hearers really listen to it, because if your congregation doesn't have a deaconess, you, you do need one. Mm -hmm. You absolutely need a deaconess in your congregation to help your, the, the ministry team care for the women in your congregation. It's just that simple. Mm -hmm. So, and and a lot of a lot of congregations. I mean, almost all congregations have women serving in a variety of roles. But what what I love about the deaconess program is, um, here's a woman in the congregation that has theological knowledge. Yes. Yes. And mm -hmm. and uh, I heard um, a student recently talk about tools in her tool belt. So she was a DCE, and she kind of kept coming up against all these questions, and she felt like she didn't have all the tools <laughs> that she needed to really be an effective uh, servant of the word, um, a leader of the youth group, or whatever um, role a woman might be serving in, in the church. Um, so come to seminary and get all these amazing tools. So theological mm -hmm. knowledge is not just for guys, right. it's for God's people. Yeah. And I, I would agree with that. I mean, that's what I experienced too, going through the lay ministry program. And and could I have kept serving as a lay minister with, with the degree that I had? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but I, I wanted more mm -hmm. and I wanted that deeper understanding. Um, and for me, this was the way, the way to do it. And I think absolutely having a deaconess in your congregation is a huge asset to the team ministry. Um, and what I love about the fact that we've got this online deaconess program now that functions very much like the specific ministry pastor program where women in their congregations are being trained 
to serve in their congregation. Who knows their congregation better than them? Right. And yep. so to be able to be trained and serve in their context is so wonderful. I, I get very excited talking about it. it. I'm not even in charge of anything, but I love talking yeah. about it. <laughs> Maybe someday. Um, so, yeah, it, it's the same thing. So for, for Dorothy, she did the undergraduate program mm -hmm. uh, at uh, Concordia Chicago. And so she has the spiritual care toolbox as a deaconess and but she wanted this ma in theology and then i'm not like the the driver again uh is we, who's more ambitious me or dorothy well again a different episode but like i always say okay you're gonna do your ma you'll take a break and then you know you'll pursue your phd naturally right because and it, like just just like you again it's it's just this uh further development and and further step of the for the office of deaconess or the, the position of deaconess in the church that women are just pursuing more and more and more. And all it does is, is add to what mm -hmm. we have to offer the world. And I just think it's such a beautiful thing. Yeah. Well, and, and those three areas that deaconesses are trained in teaching the faith, spiritual care and mercy work. Those are the church's things. Right. Yeah. So having women who understand them are equipped to do them and equipped to teach them. Um, that's part of church work is enabling God's people to do these things as well. We are, we are in service together. Um, it's just important. So we've talked a lot about uh, congregational work for deaconesses, but you're, you're working uh, <laughs> yeah, not I'm, in a I'm congregation. I'm not in a congregation. <laughs> so I, I'm interested in kind of shifting uh, yeah. to that because you, you have a really uh, unique role here at the seminary and you bring uh, a unique skill set to your role. So tell us a little bit about what you've been doing over the last couple of years here at the SEM. Yeah. So my, my journey specifically to the communications department at the seminary is also kind of interesting. Um, I worked there as a student worker mm -hmm. while I was a student. So, you know, 10 hours a week, I'd be in the communications department as an editorial assistant, maybe was my technical title. Um, and then my husband and I left for Victoria. So writing and working on other people's writing, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Copywriting, copy editing. Went on internship, came back. My husband still needed to do his fourth year mm -hmm. of his MDiv. And so I needed a job. And I reached out to my former boss, Melanie, who was wonderful, asked if there were any opportunities for me to get some hours. And uh, she said, well, we actually we're, we're looking for a temp right now. Um, so it only be for a couple months. And I said, that's perfect because I'm having a baby in December. So I just need a couple months. That's it. That's all I was expecting. What ended up happening was the temp position turned into a full-time position. Mm -hmm. It opened up. My husband and I were going through the placement process. So fourth year starts, you're, you're already into those, um, conversations with the placement office. Um, and so we hit this point of, is Hayden going, are we going to take our placements? Are we going to go out? Um, or are we both going to pursue PhDs? Uh, and so it, it really worked out that we were accepted into the PhD programs and this job with communications had opened up. And, yeah. and really for those months where I was the temp, I would come home from work every day and tell Hayden, I really love my job. If so there was good. a way I could do this, I would do this. Yeah. This is, it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> I'm having so much fun. Um, and then it opened up and, and it, the things 
things just fell into place. Um, and so I, I was then brought in as a full-time, full-time worker, which as a rostered worker, I was called to the seminary. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and I really, this might sound cheesy, but I, I have felt every day that this is my call and I feel called here. And I know that I am called here and I have the call. So I am. Right. <laughs> I am called here. 100%. Um, and as the past few years have unfolded, when I do just have to say, I work with the best people mm-hmm. at the seminary. It's a great I team. have the best coworkers. Yes. Um, and I am blessed every day to work with them. And, and the things that we do, especially as it unfolds in our office, this is just how everyone functions. We serve the campus community. So communications is a service department almost in a way. And I think so as a deaconess, we serve, we serve others. Um, And of course we have our job and and we do what we need to do and we accomplish our tasks and, and we put forth our best effort to do what we need to do for the mission of the seminary. Um, But the unique role of communications is that, we're working with all departments um, all the time, every day. Well, I mean, so uh, the relationship between our department, the enrollment department and the relationship with the communications team, uh, I mean, it just gets stronger and stronger. I think every day, I mean, so we meet regularly uh, twice a week with your department. Your department is responsible for people who might be watching us on YouTube at the moment in this Beautiful incredible set. set. Uh, if you if you ever dreamed that me and Ben had any <laughs> input onto what this set looked like, I'll just tell you. It's good uh, that we didn't. <laughs> we said we wanted it, and then they did it. Uh, and we didn't say we would like this, this, and this. We said we want to record on YouTube, and we'd like a set. And then we showed up one day, and my socks were blown off. Yeah. It's just remarkable. Um our efforts at the National Youth Gathering, greatly assisted by the communications team. Uh, uh, I, I do vocatio, and people ask me, oh, like, it's growing every year. How do you do it? I'm like, well, I would love to be like the content uh, that I've created at the, the vocatio and how I've changed the structure of it is the reason. But how do kids even hear about it? Well, through our communications team, by inviting the communications team into what it is and then saying, uh, please help me make people aware of this and then pastors become aware and they find out the dates and then they're getting in contact with me. But the, the catalyst behind it all is our communications team. Everything that happens at the seminary of people being able to see and hear and what's going on here starts with you all. And I, I mean, everybody that you work with is incredible, but it, for us, because on our staff, four of us are pastors uh, out of the six uh, having another church worker, not that other people don't understand, but having that different nuance of how we approach our work. Cause it's the same thing. I'm called to the seminary. I serve a parish part time, but my main call is the seminary. It's not a parish call. It's yeah. a educational institutional call for the purpose of recruitment. And so it's not what I was trained for in seminary. Um, and so you have to begin to shift a little bit. And yet I have conversations with guys on the phone and they're always going through like, this, this constant question is like, oh, of course, how is it going to work? But am I fit for ministry? And so I get to put on my pastor hat. Mm-hmm. And it's such a blessing to be able to to serve the church in a radically different way, but really in the way that I was trained to do it. And yeah. I, I'm sure that, that's what it sounds like you're experiencing in communications. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and I think having the benefit of being theologically trained um, yeah. and serving in that role in that department um, 
is a big blessing too. And being able to pull in our theology and um, having that wording and that foundation, Mm -hmm. because what we do isn't just social media campaigns. It's not just emails going out. It's not just magazine articles. It's, it's not just interdepartment communication. You know, it's, we're here to serve the mission of the seminary, which is yep. to train and equip leaders for the church mm. um, who go out into the world. And and part of that is bringing students in, and part of that is the community they have an experience here, and part of that is sending them out. And so being part of every aspect of that is exciting and important and having one, the theological training, but also the the unique perspective of having gone through it. Right. I'm able to bring that also um, to my unique position in the communications office. And so I just, I really am so thankful that they wanted me (laughs) 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 and uh, that they kept me um, because it's, it truly is a joy for me to take what I have learned and experienced over these years and funnel it into this, this service role for the seminary um, at this this crucial time, really, of bringing students in and sending students out. Yeah. Um, I, I want to ask um, about something that that uh, is unique to you, and um, I've I've watched you manage. You you wear lots of different hats. You have lots of different vocations and roles. One of your one of your vocations and roles as is as a mother. Mm-hmm. And you've had two kids while you and Hayden have been here at the seminary. Um, and you were even with our team at the National Youth Gathering. <laughs> and you brought little Gus along. Yes. And uh, we, we, we had a ton of fun with him. Yeah. I, I don't usually hold babies, but I held Gus and we, we just hung out. Um, but I, you have an, an amazing ability to manage all these kinds of things. Being a mother, working on a PhD, working full time. Uh, how how has that role of motherhood especially played into your your uh, role as a deaconess? Well, it's it's taught me a lot, um, and I think I don't know if stereotype is even the right word, um, but coming into the seminary to become a deaconess is a little bit different than going through it as an undergrad, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, sure the Concordias have their own stigma of <clears throat> getting your MRS degree by the time sure. you know, you're, right. you're graduating. And um, and that was never on my radar. That was not my goal at Concordia. Um, and I was proud of myself for graduating <laughs> uh, without a ring on my finger. And, um, and then coming to seminary, there's a bit of that stigma attached as well. Sure, that sure, sure. if you're a single deacon a student starting off at the sem you're gonna get married to an mdiv student um and then you're going to struggle and and i think that's put out there kind of explicitly that you're gonna have to wrestle with your vocational calls you're gonna have to wrestle with do i serve as wife and mother or do i serve as deaconess am i going Mm. to Mm. compromise and not take a call so my husband can take a call and i'll serve at home and and there is a lot of that wrestling and struggle, and yeah. it's it's individual, and um, it's different for each deaconess and pastor and couple who is going through that. Um, 
but I think I avoided it for as long as possible and <laughs> didn't want to think about it. Um, and then Hayden came through with his little ukulele and swept <laughs> you off your feet. <laughs> well, he and I actually, we started dating before we came to seminary. That's <laughs> which I also like to point out. <laughs> I didn't meet him here at the seminary, uh, but but we did go through seminary together. We got married during in between first and second year, mm-hmm. and then we did our deaconess internship and vicarage at the same time. So so we look like the classic the classic couple that comes through seminary. Um, but I always, I think, just assumed I'm going to take my deaconess call. I'm going to serve as a deaconess, and and kids will come, and I'll deal with that when it happens. And and kids have come, and yep, so I've yeah. had to deal with it. Yeah. Um. And I, there's benefit. Everyone, everyone's story's different, and we all bring different strengths to every situation because of who we are, what we've been through, what we're going through, um, what we're doing. Um. And so having kids. You know, with my with my thesis that I wrote, I didn't have kids yet at mm. that point. We didn't, we weren't pregnant yet with our first. By the time I submitted it, and it was done. <laughs> um, and one of the things that I wrote in that paper was about our baptismal identity. Yeah. And um, because I am baptized, my relationship with my mom, she's not just my mom, but she's also my sister. Mm. And so her relationship with me, especially as as I've grown into an adult. Um, we are friends. She's still my mom mm-hmm. and, and she still has that authority, yep. but we're also sisters in Christ. Yep. And, and we are able to talk and discuss with each other, encourage each other, correct each other, um, in, in, in our faith, you know? Yep. And so taking that and then realizing my son is not just my son, but he is also my brother, mm. um, in his baptismal identity as, as we are part of the church. And Hayden and I talked about this a lot, too, um, as we were preparing to have our first first kid and preparing for baptism. You know, our, we truly view our kids are part of part of the congregation. They're children of the congregation. Yeah. Um, and so knowing that, yes, we have been given a very specific role as as our son's parents. Um, God's situated us in their story as the prime authority um, to teach them his truth, to teach them their identity. Um, But we aren't alone and we are part of a congregation. We're part of a church. We're part of the seminary community. Mm. In a way, the seminary is kind of like a second congregation that that we're a part of. And so we very much see that these people who who have been placed into our lives are part of our kids' lives too. And so as a deaconess, I think because I'm able to see that reality in my own family, that, that what I learn at school, what I've learned and taken um, is playing out in very real life for mm. me. And it's not just school, it's not just papers, wow. it's not just my thesis, yeah. but, but it's life. And I, I'm not perfect at it, and I'm still, Hayden and I are still working on what does it mean to live what we've learned. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Um, but but we believe it's true, and and That's so as awesome. a as a deaconess, I can speak that too and teach that too, not just with my words, but in, in how we're living. Um, and so I think wherever wherever we end up, you know, I don't think we're going to be in St. Louis forever as much as we would love it. Sure. Um, God moves us around and yep. and grows us. Um, different calls, different places, we shift around. I think that what I have learned. 
as a mother is still tied into what I've learned as a person, as a student, as just who God has made me to be. And I will take that wherever I go and it, and it will be part of, part of ministry. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. It totally makes sense. And see what I mean? Like articulate, clear, Mm -hmm. concise, but profound. Talented. Deeply theological, practical, and academic, all kind of tied up. Sorry, I'm, I'm going to make you blush. <laughs> I know. But, but this is why we have a deaconess program, yes. is so that women can be trained and, and can bring all that theological knowledge to something like the vocation of mother and worker and uh, wife and all these different roles. So, yeah, that's awesome. So, uh, so much of what you said, again, because me and Dorothy wrestle with this all of the time. Uh, you know, it, stereotypically the thought is that uh all accept a call somewhere and then if dorothy wants to work for the church she'll have to struggle and scrap for whatever the church has to offer wherever i go and accept a call uh, and it's you know it, it's not funny and it's i don't i don't say it lightly but there are times now when we have these conversations that I, I, and i say it in with true genuineness if if i were to leave the seminary because uh again i live here in Dorothy's words, she unpacked the China, so to, to get us out of House 9 is, is going to take a lot of work. Uh, but were we to ever leave the seminary, I, I truly believe it would be to pursue a call that she received, where somebody said, we want you to come and serve us in this capacity, and then I'd have to wrestle with coming to terms with, uh, you know, accepting a, a resignation, maybe not from the director of recruitment position, but some other position for the seminary, and then, uh, you know, packing up and neatly wrapping the china for dorothy and going somewhere else because this is reality i'm on my third call and i've i haven't dragged dorothy around the country but dragged her from place to place mentally and spiritually and emotionally uh but this idea that 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 can be done and it's not a stereotype because my wife is a a professional church worker and she's getting her ma uh she could get her phd and that's going to open doors for her and she's talented Uh, she's a gifted theologian she she's taking so she has to take introductory classes and she's intro intro to systems with uh, Dr. Okamoto. And on day one, she was like, I knew the answers to the questions. And at first I was like, well, Dorothy, it's like you have a degree in theology already or something like that. But then but then I was like, but just wait. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is still graduate school. And Waters even though you have deeper. <laughs> deep theological mm-hmm. foundation, it'll change. And you'll get these pass-fail papers. And she she stressed on the first one. I was like, Dorothy, if you don't pass it, you just get to rewrite it. I was like, and if you pass it the first time, you're like one in a million. So relax. Uh, but but again, this idea that because she's a mom, we have three children. Uh, because she's a, a deacon, that she has to choose. Uh, have you ever seen these memes uh, that like she can do both, where it's like a woman who like has kids, but she's also like in the military or does something else. I love those memes because that's how I feel about Dorothy. It's like, well, she's talented. Uh, Why can in our household it's. Por que no los dos? Mm, there we go. Yeah, exactly. The Taco Bell See? slogan. Nice. <laughs> and so it's it's just, again, it's, it's refreshing to hear mm-hmm. somebody else not go through the struggle, but just have, have to have this in their life, right? Because it is such a thing. And, um, you know, if you're a pastor married to a deaconess, there are perceived barriers. But, again, you look around, it's like, well, there, there shouldn't be. It shouldn't have to be a thing where you have to choose between being a mom and a wife or pursuing the career that you you know pour time and money and effort in becoming so uh thank you for sharing that uh, i think yeah, that's that awesome. something that we all need to hear well becca we could 
probably like all of our guests there's just so much to talk about and uh maybe it just means you know you work with us and so when we're struggling to find a guest uh you work in comms but like well we need Becca here back i on. am yeah. perfect <laughs> perfect uh but uh we we have a segment uh to close things out called uh ripe for the picking or leave it on the tree now if you're watching this on youtube imagine that there's like a a felt fig tree uh, with Velcro figs that can be pulled off at this moment. If the person likes it, they physically pull it off. Yeah. Uh, I actually asked the comms team if we could have this made yesterday, and the answer was yes. I just, man, you guys are incredible. <laughs> uh, the fact that I can come up with wild ideas and you guys just make it happen really makes me happy. But we're going to just just random things. It sure. is easily the most divisive and subjective and most judgmental part of the podcast. Okay. Uh, but answer the way you would want to, uh, free of judgment in theory. Uh, so it's just random things that me and Ben think about. I have a running list on notes on my iPhone, and I think Ben has copied me and is starting to do that because I have good ideas every once in a while. No, I'm on Evernote, and I told you that I was doing this, and uh, you were like, oh, yeah, and I have mine on I notes, have like so. 30 things on There's here. no copy. Yeah, yeah no, I just listen to that. <laughs> uh, ben is easily a, a big brother and mentor to me. I just, I just have to make myself feel big around him. Anyway, uh, so, yeah, random things, and uh, we'll just – Go and right. see how things going. Yeah, just 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 random interesting things. So if you like it, it's ripe for the picking. It's not for you. Leave it on the tree. Okay. So you go first. All right. So this is this is kind of a random one. And I'm deep sea fishing. Ooh, interesting. Leave it on the tree. Okay. Right. You don't like to fish? I like fishing. What? Well, why not deep, deep sea fishing? Do you not like boats? I These, don't. I, they're bigger fish. I don't get out much. <laughs> uh, well, okay. But you, yeah, I mean, you did do an internship in Florida, which is like I next did. to two coasts. But like so it was available. in Florida, right? So. Yeah, yeah. But the coast is what, an hour away? And we away? also, we got hit with the pandemic halfway through. Oh, yeah, yeah. There was a lot of And they shut down yeah. everything. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Um, my brother did deep sea fishing See? on his vicarage okay. in, yeah. in Boca. Nice. So, oh, yeah. 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 But I did not. Um I do like fishing. I have not gotten my fishing license in quite a few years sure. because I just haven't had time. Um, but I grew up in northern Wisconsin. So we go to the lake, you sure. go fishing, you get your pan fish, you fry them up for breakfast the next day. Yummy. Yes. Yeah. So, yes. So, so fishing. Okay. Yes. But deep, deep sea, sea fish. fishing. Uh, that just sounds... It's, I, don't, just, I don't know the, if I'd the, enjoy it. The fish it. are just bigger. That's I'm all, all about yeah. it. It's ripe yeah. for the picking for it. me. Yeah. I, I've... I went to um, well this this past summer we we went and got some yellowtail snappers um, on a, a reef fishing yeah. trip um, caught like eighteen it was amazing well, and, and we brought them all home the guy filleted them up for us and we cooked them I don't know four or five different ways well and ocean fish are hungry all oh. the time and so yeah, yeah. You, you can just actually catch fish yeah here's here's a question off of this a little bit so lakes. So say you're on Lake Michigan and you go far away from the edge of the lake. I'm not going to call it a coast or the beach. The edge of the lake. No matter how big. Yeah, see? Anyway. All right. Would you consider that deep lake fishing? See, I'm not going to call it. But what do you do when you're out in the middle of a lake oh, far from, from land? What, how, what kind yeah, of fishing would you call it, consider that? I don't that's a good question. If you're watching on YouTube, leave it I've in been, the comments. I've been yeah. out. I've been out um, out of South Haven, Michigan, uh, on a on a fishing charter. Yeah. I don't remember catching very much. because well, you were on a lake and on the ocean. Anyway, oh, all right. There we go. First right. one. Very random. Very different uh, angle. Ripe for the picking or leave it on the tree. Yellow mustard. 
ripe for the picking. It's got its place. Yeah. Yeah. I so put it on, on my burgers. All right. Um, on your hot dogs? No? I don't eat hot dogs. Uh, good for you. They're right. Yeah. It's kind of mid food. Bratwurst? Sauerkraut. Okay. Sauerkraut, Sauerkraut on, on brat. And so yeah. on a bratwurst, so if it's like grilled or barbecued, I put barbecue sauce on it. But if, it, but if it's a barbecue sauce on, on a, a brat, grilled one? That's leave it barbecued? on a treat. I love barbecue sauce, but barbecue sauce on a brat, that's no. wrong. On a barbecue? This is judgmental. Do you barbecue <laughs> your bratwurst though? So you probably boil them and then roast nah, them or something like that. Come on, yeah. man. No, no, so I, you've insulted me, so I'm coming back the, at you. I put them on the grill, but... Well, you boil them first. Sauce. Yeah. You yellow beer. mustard on a brat. And then you no, like, see, and this is where we're going to disagree. So if it is like a genuine German bratwurst, is that how you would say it? Yeah. Yeah. It's a little bit of sauerkraut and then like spicy brown. Yeah, I'm all right with spice, spicy brown, but for me... Is it yellow, the spice? yellow. Yeah, yeah that's the spice. <laughs> that spicy mustard's gonna make me sweat, baby. <laughs> yeah. All, All right. right. So yellow mustard, marking it off the list. I'm, All right. Look, what's next? I'm really disappointed. You gotta just just try grilling a bratwurst and nope. put some barbecue sauce, some sweet nope. baby rays. We're not sponsored. Capital but maybe you N. Should. Nope. Sponsor sweet baby. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so right for the pick and leave it on the tree. Fruit by the foot. Is that like a fruit roll up? It's like a very specific type of fruit roll-up. It's like the long ones that were like, they were like a yard and like you unrolled mm. it or you could, like if you were a G, you just That's right. ate it like from the, the bubble gum like, tape. Yeah, yeah, you just like, put it in yeah, your mouth yeah. and you eat it like, like bubble gum. You just get yeah. <laughs> um, leave it on the tree. Okay. Were you not allowed to have fruit snacks when you were a kid? I was, but I hated if my tongue changed a color. Oh, wow. So anything blue raspberry? Just part of it. No. But that's like one of the best candy flavors of all time. But it changes right? your tongue and your mouth blue. It does. And that's yep. a no It'll go away me. in a couple of days. I like that right. artificial flavor. Yeah. I have blue raspberry oh, yeah. and like the green apple artificial yeah. flavor. Those are like the top two. Yeah. If they if they didn't change my mouth a color or if it was very subtle, like mm. strawberry, that was okay. So if you're but, a candy maker out there, just don't put dye in your candy. You have a new customer, at least one. Probably, yeah. Maybe, maybe more. Maybe That's so. such an odd thing not to want to right. eat those, but everybody has their own thing. All right. Fair enough. All right. Here's the next thing. Um, Apple Maps. Micah knows we've we've had this debate already. Um, that's so what not, I use. Not, oh, Thank you, you. That's what you use because you use an iPhone I and do. it just works better. Exactly. Yeah. It's good. It tells yeah. you where there's jams or where there are police stops but ahead. But my husband does not use that. He uses Google Maps. Exactly. Right? And so I, we, I feel we like do argue about it. Yeah. It is a it is a thing. Mm -hmm. um, Maps is very efficient. And they've updated it. When's the last time you tried Apple Maps? Well, fairly recently. And that's the thing. Like, I, I think back to when this got started and it was like Google Maps or Apple was always trying to bring up the, the automatic map and Apple Maps were awful when the iPhone came out. Originally, yeah, but now that more, see, it's one of those things that like benefits from multiple users and now that everybody, except for the odd, random, strange person who may or may not be a psycho who has an Android, it, well, it performs very well. I don't have an well. Android, come on, man. <laughs> Hayden has a Google Pixel. So, uh, so if, if you're Google not gonna have an iPhone, his, I, have, yeah. I have friends that if you have if you don't have an iPhone, they will not keep you in their text thread because they that do green not bubble. want that it's green bubble. Way to, oh. ruin, way to ruin a group right, chat. Right, yeah. our whole team yeah. has the the blue bubble. Yeah. So if if you're if you're not going to be an iPhone person, I a Google Pixel is a good smartphone, and Samsungs mm -hmm. are good smartphones. Don't get me wrong, but just why? Just, 
I will say see, see when we are. See how judgmental this segment gets. All of a sudden, <laughs> yes, it's I, like, well, this, this is where it gets real. <laughs> exactly. I guess uh, when we go on road trips, um, it is who can pull it up first Got on it. their Ooh, phone because yeah, that will yeah. determine which map we use. There you go. Um, nice. And whoever's driving is at a disadvantage because they're driving. Right. Um, but sometimes someone has to take their. See, reins. it's a debate. Uh, so yeah. it's a real debate for a very long time, and I'll. <sighs> This is the one time I'm going to admit it publicly. It'll never happen again. Up until like three years ago, I used Google Maps. And then one time it disappointed. Mm. And I, I was like, well, let me go back to Apple Maps. And so far, it's, yeah, it's just give you options, give you like three or four routes, depending on timing and I will the say, time of the day. When we use Hayden's phone, he does mm. have a feature that I haven't been able to figure out on Apple Maps, mm. which is adding a destination as you're going so we don't have to leave the destination that we've entered into his phone and we can add a stop for a specific restaurant that we're looking for or a gas station you can't do that on apple maps i don't think so oh my gosh why did you bring this up i'm I'm never using apple maps because i have to be honest thank you so much every apple maps user this has been one of the best episodes that we've had uh, that's the end of the episode okay no 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 okay um, All right, next one. Moving on quickly. Uh, right for the picking or leave it on the tree. Uh, oh, I had the one I wanted to ask you. Oh, subscription boxes. Hmm. Mm. Give us a, give us an example of. Yeah, um, I can give you a few. So during the pandemic, uh, when you couldn't go anywhere, Dorothy started this uh, monthly subscription to a, a place called Happily, and mm-hmm. it was like a date at home. So it was like a craft or a snack you made together, a goofy game where you just ask each other questions back and forth. And it was like in a playlist and it, it was this very cheesy thing. Uh, and yet, you know, sometimes a little cheese is what you need in your marriage just, just to have a laugh together. And so we, Kiwi we did Co. that. Kiwi Co. is another one. Okay. We, we've done Kiwi Co. Like, like craft stuff for yeah. kids. Dorothy got me a subscription box to GQ for my birthday this year. Mm-hmm. And so stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to leave that on the tree. All right. Mm-hmm. Any particular reason? Just because you just. It would probably get into too much of a conversation. <laughs> sure. All right. All right. Fair, All right. Fair enough. Yeah. No. Fair enough. I was yeah. Just curious. Yeah, exactly. I am. I love subscriptions. All right. I don't maybe, like paying for it. Maybe, maybe last one for the, for the episode. Yeah. Um, ripe for the picking. Or leave it on the tree. Figs. This is the Under the Fig Tree podcast. Never asked. Do you do you like figs? Eating figs. As a kid, I did not like fig newtons. Um, but when I got pregnant, the with my first pregnancy, I wanted. Big, fig big Newtons was the craving. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Such a strange craving. Yes. I happens. don't know if I would call it a craving necessarily. Okay, just... But but I if I ha- if I was looking at the granola bar section, it was the fig newtons that yeah. stood out from, yeah. from everything else. Um ripe what figs? I, have you had ripe figs? No, I haven't. Just fig newtons. That's yeah. that's the extent of my yeah, fig knowledge. Right. Right. <laughs> so maybe it's a leave it on the tree if that does not count. No, I, fig newtons totally count. Um, yeah, it's a totally ripe for the picking is for it? me. I love figs. I love ripe figs. In Georgia, we had a fig tree. And man, there is nothing better than going to a fig tree and just picking off 
uh, I mean, th- this is a this is a big fig. Okay. But but we had figs that were sometimes this big, and man, to just bite into one of those. Do you just warm. eat them like? Oh yeah. Like an apple. There's a lot of seeds in them, so it's kind of like. That's um, why I didn't like fig newtons as see, a kid. Yeah, I also don't like pomegranate. Yeah, 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 for that yeah. reason, I don't like. A, but they're edible fruits. seeds. They're not like not like uh, as big of a as a pomegranate where you have to spit them out. Okay. Or so like a strawberry pomegranate seeds. Kind of. Yeah, a little bit bigger than than strawberry seeds. Mm. Very but, seedy, but they, oh, hmm. the taste. Okay. Awesome. I've see. I, here's an interest. I don't know if I've ever eaten mm. like an actual fig. But like in, like living I'm, in Hawaii, I'm bringing figs for the next episode. We have like we guava and things like that, and papaya. I don't really like papaya that much. Yeah. But like other like exotic fruits and stuff like that. As you were saying, it, I was like, yeah, I've eaten millions of fig newtons in my life. Yeah. And I just imagine that's what a fig tastes like, but I doubt a fresh fig tastes like that. Just oh. like raisins don't taste like grapes. When when I was a grad student <laughs> in um, in in England, um, hanging out at Birmingham, I'd go to these these fruit stands, and they would have these enormous figs that, okay. that were like the size of an apple. It's because it rains a lot in England. Oh, they were so good. Yeah. The so produce good. in England is different. Yeah. Because uh, yeah. it's so, it's just wet all the time. Yep. Everything's green, even even in the winter. Well, uh, Becca, we could, again, it, I feel like every episode, especially when we first have somebody on, especially one of our colleagues, it's one of these things where we could drag this out uh, for another hour or so. Uh, which always is, is again, it means we have to have you back on. Uh, but if you're listening and this is your first time tuning in to Under the Fig Tree since we've been back, uh, you can now watch us on YouTube if you're interested in, in what Ben has on today. Uh, but you can still continue to listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. If, if you prefer not to, to look at us, we get it. Uh, but yeah, if, if, you're, if you're just tuning back in, you can see us on YouTube. Uh, Becca was an absolute pleasure uh, to have you on to uh, these deaconess ec- episodes. I'm very biased are some of my favorite, mostly because of Dorothy being a deaconess. But again, I uh, appreciate what you've uh, brought to under the fig tree today. Yeah. And, uh, and your well, inclusion. Thank you for having me. Oh, absolutely. It's no, a, it's a joy to talk with you guys. And I just want to say to our listeners that they should be watching for you because I, I expect you to keep on writing and I hope, well, I'm just going to say, I think our readers should be, picking up the stuff that you are writing yes um so i hope that there's writing projects in the future and uh people should be should be following becca um for whatever you put out so yeah keep up the great work i better get writing yeah that's right <laughs> keep writing 100 yes. well, yeah uh thanks for tuning in and any last things this has been a fun episode yeah, yeah very fun well, take care everyone and we'll see you next time